It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, <coughs> and it's Wednesday, which means we have uh, armchair politics coming up in about an hour. Our weekly roundtable features two hours of commentary and analysis on local, state, national news and headlines uh, from politics and uh, current events with our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. They'll be joined today by Janworth Nelson from uh, East Village Magazine, and I'm sure we'll be talking about yesterday's uh, uh, city council uh, uh, primary election in Flint. But first, uh, since it's the uh, beginning of the month, we always get together with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint, and he joins me now by phone. Hi, Chris. Welcome. Hey, Tom. Great to be here. Um, Chris, what's what's the big news uh, this week in the economy? Is it um, is it job gains? Uh, <clears throat> well, job gains will be released on the Friday of this week. The first Friday of every month is when the Bureau of Labor Statistics releases its jobs report that shows how many jobs were created in the past month. <clears throat> so all eyes will be on that. Because the the jobs recovery this year has been largely disappointing, especially with how much uh, fiscal stimulus has been dumped into the economy in the form of the COVID relief bill, 
that was signed into law this past March. You know, the you know, traditional fiscal policy says um, if you dump a bunch of money to the economy through tax cuts and increased government spending, that should create jobs as that money is spent and respent. But for the last, the first two job reports following that bill, um, job creation was very disappointing. So I think the big um, story will be, does job growth pick up into the summer or does it remain disappointing? Well, aren't economists sort of expecting Friday's report to show uh, pretty strong, a pretty strong July for <coughs> job gains? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I don't know if economists are very good at making predictions <laughs> because economists back in April said, well, about a million jobs should be created in April um, thanks to that COVID relief bill with the $2 trillion of fiscal policy pumped into the economy. And the actual jobs numbers were about 250,000. So only off by, by about 75%. So I'm not really sure that you should uh, put a lot of credence into what economists are predicting uh, because there's a, there, there's things that cut both ways in terms of job creation this summer. So the traditional um, two-handed economist answer here, <laughs> where on the one hand, job growth in the summer is usually pretty good, um, despite worries about the Delta variant. Um, COVID cases in lots of states remain low, like in Michigan. Um, COVID fatalities continue to, to remain low, even in states that are seeing an increase in cases, and I think that's a result of the vaccine, that if you're vaccinated to get COVID, um, you're very likely to have a mild case. So all that means is people are out and about um, that should create jobs, especially in industries that were hit hard by the shutdown, like entertainment venues, bars, restaurants, and so forth. But on the other hand, um, you have issues like the enhanced unemployment benefits that are continuing till at least September 1st where there are a lot of people out there who are um, perhaps making more on unemployment um, than they could earn working. Because before COVID, the traditional unemployment benefit was about $400 a month. Right now, an extra $300 per week. Or I'm sorry, $400 per week. And an additional $300 per week is added to that. So that's the equivalent of making about $17 per hour on unemployment if you're getting the um, $400 per week benefit in addition to the $300 per week enhanced benefit. So it's hard for a business who's offering maybe $12 or $13 an hour to attract a worker who's making the equivalent of $17 per hour on unemployment. And that makes it hard for jobs to be um, created because there's fewer people out there looking for work that would otherwise be the case. So there's lots of stuff going on that impacts uh, job creation in the economy right now. And while a lot of American businesses are having a difficult time um, getting back to full uh, employment levels, um, they're also experiencing some supply problems, too. Yeah, that's been a feature of the economy basically for the last 18 months, where uh, because of the shutdowns, a lot of supply chains got disrupted. So businesses are having a hard time finding inputs, and where those inputs can be found, uh, lots of times the price is much higher than what it was before COVID. And it seems like no matter who you talk to in what industry, um, that's the, the theme that continues to emerge, that you know, I pay in maybe 25 50% more for my materials than I was paying back in February 2020 before COVID. Um, 
the auto industry, I think, is the most well-known example, at least in this area, where there's a lot of unfinished cars sitting in lots around the country because there's a computer chip shortage. That back when the pandemic first hit, the auto industry thought that demand for cars would dry up like they usually do in a recession. Um, so the auto companies reduced their orders for computer chips. So those computer chips got diverted to the consumer electronics industry because demand was increasing in that industry, things to people staying at home and wanting things to do. But demand for cars never dried up in this recession. Maybe that's in part due to um, the various, ge- the very generous uh, public assistance that's been offered in this recession through the re- relief checks, expansion of the child tax credit and so forth, so that people had disposable income to buy cars. Well, the auto industry, you know, pared back their demand orders for computer chips. Um, would they realize that was a mistake? Well, it was kind of too late. You know, now they're, they're at the back of the line for computer chips. And how long that continues for, well, it's hard to know. But I think you're seeing issues like that in lots of industries across the United States. And it's pretty uncharted territory. You know, we're, we're not used to things being in short supply in the U.S. economy. So it's hard to know. Um, how long it'll take for things to get back to normal? You know, will it be a year? Will it be two years? Will it be longer? You know, since this, this, this is the first time something like this has happened, it's just very difficult to know. I couldn't help thinking about that old parable when you were talking about the uh, microchip shortage uh, uh, for the want of a nail. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> and you wouldn't really think about cars having a lot of computer chips in them, but but they do. Um, computer chips kind of control everything with the car, even as something as simple as um, monitoring the tire pressure. Um, I think all cars within the last 10 to 15 years have uh, chips in each four t- each one of the four tires that tells you what the pressure is in some sort of con- the console um, in the car. So you know, if you can't get something simple like that, well, you, you can't really sell a car. And then cars are becoming uh, more and more integrated with things like Wi-Fi, um, things like GPS. All those require computer chips. So if you can't get the chips, well, you can't sell the car. So it's just simple things like that that maybe you wouldn't have thought of 18 months ago are really becoming a hiccup in terms of getting product out to the market, which is a problem because um, I think the average car on the road is about 12, 13 years old. So... You know, if you have a car that's 12 or 13 years old, like I do, well, my car's 10 years old, you know, eventually it's going to wear out. You're, you're going to need a new one. And if you can't find a new car, well, that's a problem. How is uh, shortage in staff and, and supply chain problems or supply chain problems affecting American business to the degree that it impacts the trade deficit? Um, yeah, that's hard to say. Uh, I think the trade deficit has increased even after something uh, like three even and during a half, COVID. Something like three and a half percent, and and some people are suggesting that that's because American businesses aren't able to keep up and compete. Um, yeah, that's a long-standing concern. Um, I I don't think it's changed a whole lot with COVID. I don't think COVID's impacted the trade deficit dramatically one way or the other. Um, I think the main impact COVID would have on the trade deficit is that uh, your computer chips are manufactured in China. 
So if computer chips are just unavailable, well, that will, by definition, lower imports and lower the trade deficit. But I don't know if we should say the trade deficit is good or bad, but lots of people think the trade deficit is bad. I think it should be reduced. But if it's reduced because things are in short supply and thus aren't being imported, I don't think that's a good way to reduce the trade deficit. In this day and age, is there a good way to reduce the trade deficit? <clears throat> yeah, no ways that people like. Um, <laughs> if you look at a big driver of the trade deficit, it's the government budget deficit. Um, there's the old twin deficits argument in economics that when you have a large government budget deficit, um, you have a large trade deficit. Um, the reason being that, well, the, the way you cover the budget deficit is you borrow from the rest of the world, and the only way the rest of the world has dollars to load the government is if they have a trade surplus and that they sell us more goods and services than what we buy from them, so they have dollars left over to loan back to the government to cover the budget deficit. So in that sense, lowering the trade deficit means lowering the budget deficit, while the budget deficit is $3 trillion right now, so is there the political will to cut $3 trillion worth of spending? Yeah, I highly doubt it. Uh, could you raise taxes by $3 trillion? Um, I doubt that, too. You know, that would mean basically doubling income taxes, and I don't think anyone wants to do that. Or you just let interest rates start to rise, and <clears throat> no one wants that to happen either. So, so long as the government keeps running these multi-trillion dollar deficits, I think the trade deficit is just going to be a fact of life. I don't think it's a coincidence that you started to see the trade deficit emerge as a phenomenon in the 1960s or 1970s and the, in, in the 1980s uh, when the government started running perennial budget deficits. It's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck here because we've got about a minute and a half until we go to break, Chris, and I didn't want to dig down into something too deep. But uh, how has Wall Street been reacting to the, uh, um, the, the apparent resurgence of COVID through its uh, variants? Um, the, the market took a hit last week. I think it was down 450 points or so, but it quickly rebounded. It's always hard to tease out what's causing the stock market to move because you have so many things going on. Uh, so the Federal Reserve continues to be very expansionary in terms of increasing the money supply. So that will naturally cause the market to rise. So I think you're seeing a, a long-term rise in the stock market just due to Fed policy. But in terms of COVID, I don't think the market is super worried because uh, perhaps the Delta variant is resulting in more cases. But as of right now, it doesn't seem to be resulting in more fatalities, which is making this wave unique compared to previous waves. Right. I think that's because the vaccine is so widely available that close to nearly 70% of Americans have been fully vaccinated at this point. Well, we hit the, the mark that uh, President Biden wanted to hit July 4th, albeit a month late, of uh, 70% at least have one shot. So we're, we're, we're getting there. But we have to take a short break. We'll come back. Chris, you'll stick around. Sounds good. All right, we'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with economist Chris Douglas uh, from the University of Michigan Flint. Chris, welcome back. It's great to be here, Tom. Yesterday on the show, I was talking with uh, Mark Lazar about his book, Pathway to Prosperity, and we got to talking about um, housing and the housing bubble back in, what was it, 2008, and he was making the point that um, if you bought a house, if your timing was just horrible and you bought a house in 2006 or 2007 and then all of a sudden the bottom fell out of the real estate market, if you'd hung on to that house, that it would be worth more now than it was before the bubble burst. Um, is Is that... True, and is that kind of an abject lesson in investing for the long term? Yeah, it's true. If you look at um, the Case-Shiller Home Price Index for the United States and for individual cities, it is in that the average price of a house now is higher than what it was before the bubble burst. So if you could ride out the downturn in 08 and 09, um, yeah, you would have ended up with a house that was worth more than the peak um, before the last recession. And that's true for the stock market as well. Um, I've had the good fortune of living through four stock market crashes, um, the one in 87, there's one in 2001, and then 2008, and then famously one last March with COVID. And think about the one last March with COVID, you know, the stock market fell by nearly 50%. I just remember watching that day-to-day and being amazed at how the stock market was dropping like a rock. And everything in your nature says, get out of the market when you just see the market cratering right like that. Right? Every impulse says, cut your losses and get out. But that's the wrong impulse. Because if you would have held on last March when the market was tanking, you made back all your gains and then some. Right now, the market's close to 35000 which is substantially higher than what it was uh, before COVID. So the first rule of investing is uh, buy low, sell high. But when you think about that rule, you know that goes against your impulse because when do you want to buy? Well, you want to buy when prices are rising because that feels great. You want to buy when the market's rising. You want to buy when the housing market's rising because that feels like the right time to buy. But that means you're buying high, and when do you want to sell? You want to sell when prices are tanking to cut your losses. Well, that means you're selling low. So hanging on to your house, hanging on to your stocks during a downturn is really hard to do, but it's important to do that because that's kind of the first rule of investing. You know, Don't sell low and lock in those losses. Of course, if you go back to 08, 09, lots of times it wasn't possible to hang on to your house. Uh, a lot of people bought uh, with a zero-down mortgage, bought with an interest-only mortgage or an adjustable rate mortgage. So the adjustable rate mortgage, for instance, um, started seeing its interest rate rise, and all of a sudden people couldn't make um, those payments and just uh, got their house foreclosed on. Or there are a lot of irresponsible mortgages being um, issued where you know banks, really knew that people had no ability to repay those mortgages, so eventually they couldn't repay them and, and lost their house. So 
So there are a lot of people in a transit situation last year where, you know, they just couldn't afford to keep their house. They couldn't afford to make those payments. Uh, but for the people who could and for the people who hang on to their house, yeah, they, they did pretty well. It looks like uh, a version of the um, infrastructure bill that President Biden um, backed and and introduced um it's gone through some changes but it looks like a version of it is is going to make it through and and fairly soon um how will investment in infrastructure affect the economy um the president likes to say there are going to be more jobs but you know every bill is going to produce more jobs that's at least that's the rhetoric yeah, that's the rhetoric, but as we saw with the March COVID relief bill, that's $2 trillion injected into the economy and not a lot of, a lot of job creation followed. Uh, so I don't think it's a guarantee that uh, more spending leads to more jobs, although that's the old Keynesian economics line that more spending does lead to more jobs. Uh, but the classic economist answer is it depends. You know, it depends on what type of infrastructure is happening. So if we're talking about fixing things like roads, bridges, airports. Um, Sure, that would help the economy because infrastructure is important to move people and goods and services. And, you know, the nation's infrastructure, I don't think it's as bad as people say it is, but certainly it could use some improvements. I think there's a lot of deferred maintenance that needs to happen. But the infrastructure bills, a trillion dollars. I saw a picture of the bill, and it's, several thousand pages long. It looks like maybe four or five old school New York City phone books stacked on top of each other. <laughs> so who knows what's in that thing? Um, I think it's a real open question in terms of will that spending be used for productive projects like resurfacing roads, upgrading airports and so forth, or will it just be wasted? So I think the the economic impact of the infrastructure bill contingent on is the money used productively or not. Yeah, I think I think I read somewhere that that bill was twenty seven hundred pages long. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you you get a bill that's nearly three thousand pages long, and people in Congress are going to be voting on it without reading it. I mean, there's no way you could read a three thousand page bill, or if you could, I mean, there's no way to digest a three thousand page bill. I mean, when's the last time you read a three thousand page book? I've never read a three thousand page book. I've read a one thousand page book that took me longer than a weekend to do. So I think that's a real indictment of our of our government where you've got people who are elected to office who who vote on these thousand page log bills and you know there was no way they could have read them. So you know what's being what's being voted on, you know, well who who knows. It's kind of like the old line about Obamacare 10 years ago. We have to pass the bill to see what's in the bill. Well, yeah, the classic you know, that's what people, Nancy Pelosi line. Yeah, I mean, that, if that's the mentality, well, you know, who knows if this money is going to help the economy or not or be used productively for infrastructure or not. I think the problem with infrastructure is, is that something that everyone agrees is important. You know, Republicans, Democrats, independents all support infrastructure because we all drive on roads, uh, we all take flights, uh, we all buy stuff on, in, in the store, goods and services that are transported via you know, rail, road, airplane 
So we all want infrastructure. So if you're a politician and want a bill to be supported, you just call it infrastructure and everyone gets behind it. And you think back to 2009, uh, the Obama stimulus, which is about $800 billion, which seems like chump change now, uh, but that was supposed to stimulate the economy in the last recession. Uh, infrastructure was the selling point that you know, we would pass this uh, $800 billion bill and that money would be used to fix roads, bridges, airports, and so forth. Well, it turned out after the bill was passed, very little went to infrastructure. Um, President Obama famously said that he learned very quickly that there's no such thing as a shovel-ready ready project, which I don't think is true, but he said that as a justification for why, you know, despite this bill being passed, you know, not a whole lot went to things like roads and bridges. So it's, I think it's like a baited switch, that you call something infrastructure, everyone says, well, we recognize that support, it, so we support it, and then when the thing is implemented, very little finds its way to infrastructure, you know, fast forward 10 years, and then the same trick is pulled again. So that's my cynical view, uh, but I think it's one that's um, supported in recent history. Well, this is... Um unrelated but but similar in in what happened a few years ago uh flint voters passed a um, police millage we were still under emergency manager at the time and and people were were told that the money would go to uh funding more officers and the money actually started going to repay a grant that ran out or or to replace a grant that ran out that was paying for existing officers and and i think a a lot of people felt really cheated by that yeah i I remember that instance and it was famously documented in the netflix documentary flint town um, which i think a, a lot of your listeners probably watched i watched it too but yes i watched as much as i could (laughs) <laughs> yeah no i know it's, it's hard to see for a, for a city that we all uh, like a, a great deal and we think that has a lot of potential it has a great history um but the classic baited switch right because you know despite the defund the police rhetoric i think police funding is still very popular um, with a lot of people and that people want their neighborhoods protected they want their streets protected they don't want to see criminals um, up and down the street. They don't want to have to worry about their house being broken into if they're out of town. So you put a police millage on the ballot, it generates a lot of support because people support police protection. So then the millage passes and then the money is diverted to other things. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I think, a classic political technique. You cloak something in an issue everyone supports and that gets it to pass and then, well, money is fungible, so that the money could be diverted for other things. And I think that's a big reason why people have a, a lack of trust. In, in oh, the I, yeah, in the I, I agree. You know, there's only so many times you can do that before people think you're crying wolf. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot, Chris, is uh, especially with regard to economic recovery, is um, uh, air travel. And air travel has been really rebounding, um, as we've seen over the last couple of holiday travel weekends. Um, And I'm thinking uh, Memorial Day and Fourth of July. But what's going on at Spirit? Yeah, Spirit at American Airlines. Um, I'm not 100% sure 
Um, I guess for a couple of reasons. First, I haven't flown since before the pandemic. My last flight was February 2020. Um, although I have a flight on Friday, but it's not with Spirit, fortunately, or American. Um, when I read the articles, they talk about weather, and they're talking about staffing issues, which, you know, I'm not in those industries, so it's hard to know exactly what they mean by that. Um, the weather doesn't seem to be particularly bad, except out west. I know there's been issues with uh, jet fuel supply at some western airports. I think American got hit by that, but... Well, then the question is, why not, why not Not every airline that flies into those airports? And I, I don't know. Um, Spirit Airlines sounds like the similar situation. Also, both airlines report staffing issues. But again, why not every other airline facing those same issues? I don't know. Perhaps with Spirit, you know, they're a low-fare airline. Um, you know, they're cheaper than the other airlines to fly, so perhaps that means they pay their staff less. So maybe it's a little harder to attract workers when workers are in short supply if your wages are low than everyone else. I don't know that's a possibility. Um, but it's just kind of more of the same in terms of what we've been accustomed to post-COVID where you, know, you just have shortages popping up. So things become less reliable and air travel, at least on those two airlines, seems to fit that bill. And that's, I think that's going to be a, a stressful things for the next couple of years at least where you know if you travel um is your flight going to be on time um is your return flight going to be on time uh you read reports about um these airlines it sounds like getting through to customer service is an impossibility i've read where people have waited you know nine plus hours for a call back so it's not like air travel was exactly smooth before covid but it's just going to be one of these you know, another one of these annoyances that people have to deal with um, thanks to the disruptions caused by the shutdowns. You know, uh, Chris, we were talking a little bit earlier about um, how the the resurgence um, of COVID uh, rises in infections due largely to um, the variants and, and the more contagious variants. And in the lack of, of some people um, taking advantage of the vaccine, some would say, uh, well, in fact, President Biden said that we're experiencing uh, a, um, a surge of the unvaccinated. Um, but all that aside, if there is a surge, despite the fact that a lot of people are, are vaccinated and hospitalizations and deaths are significantly less than previous surges. Um, is that likely to, to make people nervous and have them pull back? And how will that affect the economy? Are, are we, um, I, I guess my point is when this all started, I was, I was sort of comparing it to the Spanish flu in 1918. And that pandemic lasted about three years. And and I'm just wondering, are, are we only halfway through? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, with the Spanish flu, it was a much more deadly pandemic than COVID-19, which is fortunate for us. Uh, if you look at the case fatality ratio uh, for the Spanish flu, how many um, cases of Spanish flu or what percentage of cases result in a fatality, it was close to about 2.5%, you know, which is 
pretty high that if 100 people got Spanish flu, nearly three of them, three of them died. Uh, with COVID, it's somewhere between a half to 1%. So you're, you're talking about a pandemic with COVID that's uh, less than half as deadly as the Spanish flu, which is very fortunate. Um, in terms of future waves, it just depends on what people think in terms of how deadly um, the wave is. So the first wave of the pandemic is, you know, last March and April, um, you just saw things grind to a halt thanks to stay-at-home orders. But, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty in terms of how contagious COVID was and how deadly it was. Um, the information we got in terms of those things were just all over the place. You know, we heard that, you know, COVID could live on a gas pump for a week. You know, maybe it lived on a door handle for a, a week, things like that. So people are just are understandably hesitant when that information is out there, but now we know that COVID's not transmitted through touch. It's airborne, um, and we kind of know how deadly it is for certain population segments. It's very risky for others. Maybe it's less risky. So now that those risks are better understood, I think it's unlikely you're going to see people really start staying at home again if there is an increase in cases. You kind of saw that in Michigan. Uh, Michigan had a wave last fall, then a wave into the spring. You didn't see people stay home during those waves like they did in the first wave. And I think that's probably true nationwide. Um, certainly, if you do see a wave that's much deadlier um, than earlier waves, all bets are off. But I think now with the vaccine being deployed, people knowing that, well, if I'm fairly young, fairly healthy, it's unlikely COVID is going to be a huge risk to me. There's always a possibility that it is, but it's not super likely. So I don't think you're going to see, you know, people really react to future waves in the same way they reacted to the very first wave. But again, if there is a, a, a deadly wave um, that even the, vac the vac vaccinated um, face, all bets are off. But I don't think that's very likely. What parts of, of the American economy are likely to never return to normal? Are, um, there, are there any, or do you think, uh, you know, though it may take some time to return to normal, um, or, or are there some uh, parts of the economy that were, that were already in trouble and this became sort of the the death blow yeah if you've asked me that question a year ago i would have said well air travel probably won't return to normal people will do things through zoom since you can zoom maybe hotels won't return to normal maybe um you know recreation won't return to normal will people go to crowded theme parks again um, after covid compared to before covid so i would have thought all those things wouldn't return to normal but i think i'm wrong about that um, I just pulled up the TSA checkpoint travel numbers out of curiosity to see how many people are going through TSA checkpoints now. And yesterday, um, August 3rd, you had nearly 1.8 million people clear TSA checkpoint. Uh, that's basically increased by a factor of three compared to last year, where only about 500,000 people cleared a checkpoint. And that's not down too much compared to before COVID, where 2.4 million people um, cleared a checkpoint. So I guess people are eager to travel and could, assuming um, things continue to move in the right direction for COVID, I think air travel does largely return to normal. 
just the same with things like hotels, theme parks, and so forth. I think the thing we're most likely to see permanently changed um, due to COVID is working at home. And that work at home seems to be popular with people. People say, well, I'm as productive at home or even more productive because there are fewer distractions at home compared to coworkers popping into my office, my boss popping into my office, and so forth. Um, and I don't have to put up with a commute. You know, I don't have to commute an hour each way every day in really heavy traffic which is stressful, puts wear and tear on the car and so forth. So I think there's going to be this pressure for uh, people to continue to work at home in some, in some capacity, which would result in a reduced demand for commercial real estate. Um, businesses won't need expensive real estate in you know, Manhattan sky rises or suburban office parks as much anymore if, working at, if people are working at home. So you know, that would depress commercial real estate prices. Um, which would depress uh, city property tax revenue. And that could lead to some hiccups in the banking sector because people buy office space um, like someone buys a house. You take out a loan and use the um, rental payments you get from leasing that office space to pay back the loan. Well, if that office space isn't being leased or if it's being leased at a lower rate than what it was before COVID, well, people might have a hard time paying back those commercial real estate loans, and you know, banks who made those loans might find themselves in a little bit of trouble, kind of like banks who made mortgage loans um, during the housing crash a dozen years ago found themselves in trouble. There's no guarantee that would happen. That, that's kind of like the one sector of the economy I think we might see a permanent change as a result of COVID, just because work at home has largely been popular, I think. Chris, we've just got about two minutes left. Any any final thoughts? Um, we never talked about inflation. Maybe we could talk about that yeah. um, next month. Inflation in May, June, and even April has been higher than what the Federal Reserve was projecting and what most economists were projecting. Um, inflation numbers for July will come out sometime fairly soon, so it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. The Federal Reserve says inflation should be transitory, which, as far as I can tell, is never defined. But I would define transitory inflation as an increase in the rate of inflation and then having it come right back down to, like, the 2% historical average. Uh, so far, inflation for the last few months has been running something like three to four times higher than that. So we'll see how long that continues because that will give us some information about how transitory inflation will really be. So that's something perhaps we could talk about yes. next month. Because Do you think that will impact uh, interest rates? Um, yeah, that's a, a good question. Um, because the way inflation impacts interest rates is the Federal Reserve decides, well, it's time to lower inflation. And the way you do that is you start reducing the growth rate of the money supply. The interest rate is just the price of money. So if you reduce the growth rate of something, that pushes the price of that something up. So that's why interest rates rose in the early 1980s when the Federal Reserve fought inflation. Well, that's hard for the Federal Reserve to do now when the government's running a $3 trillion budget deficit because low interest rates makes running a big budget deficit like that really cheap. Debt service is cheap. But if interest rates start rising, well, now all of a sudden running a $3 trillion budget, dollar budget deficit for the federal government becomes really expensive well chris thanks so much we'll have to pick it up uh right there next month and uh and thanks again oh uh, you're welcome it's always great to speak with you tom looking forward to next month take care
That was economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. We'll be Hi, right back. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org. 
or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I was, uh, I was watching television, and it was a John Wayne War movie. I guess they're all John Wayne War movies. Do you ever think how close we came to losing the war if he hadn't been with us? <laughs> but... Uh, I, I don't want to tell you the plot of the thing because I hate people who do that. But uh, we win it, you see. Now, my problem is that uh, I want to start talking about airplanes right now. And there is no logical way to get out of what I was talking about and talking about airplanes. <laughs> and you should always tie things in together. So I will try this. In the war movies, they always had that one shot of the dogfight with the airplanes. Speaking of airplanes... <laughs> I recently flew out from uh, Chicago, and I, uh, I don't enjoy flying at all. Uh, I'm one of those ones, first of all, who gets on stoned, you know, <laughs> right away. <laughs> Secondly, I usually sit in the lounge, and I whimper all through the flight. <laughs> and I, I look out the window, and I turn to the guy who's sitting next to me, and I'll say, this... Flying is really amazing. I said, the people, they look like ants down there. And he'll say, those are ants, you idiot. We haven't taken off yet, you know. <laughs> but anyway, there's a, there's a logical explanation for why I don't fly. I took a non-scheduled airline one time. I was in the Army, and I wanted to go to Hawaii on a three-day pass. I... <laughs> I didn't have a lot of money, and they were running ads at the time. Uh, and one ad read, take a chance <laughs> on the Mrs. Grace L. Ferguson airline and Storm Door Company, see? <laughs> so <laughs> it gave an address, and I went out to this address, and it was this woman's home. <laughs> and she had a little counter set up in her living room, and uh, we had to go up to the John to weigh our baggage, I remember. <laughs> Then we all got in her Volkswagen and she drove us out to the airport. <laughs> we got aboard this DC-1. <laughs> After we were out about two hours, a captain came out. He gave one of those addresses they all give. And I'll never forget it, and this is why I don't fly anymore. It came out like this. You're the navigator, you ought to be able to figure out where the hell we are. Uh, good evening. I'd, uh, I'd like to welcome you aboard the Mrs. Grace L. Ferguson Airline and Storm Door Company. Uh, I don't know how much you know about our airlines. We've, uh, we've only been in business uh, about a week. Uh, our airline was uh, founded on the philosophy that what the American public was really looking for was a low-cost overseas transportation. Uh, we have attempted to eliminate what we call in the airline business uh, frills and extras, like uh, 
maintenance and, uh, <laughs> and radar and a whole bunch of, uh, of, uh, of technical instruments up in the... Um, Really, have, have you ever had one that hangs on for about four or five days? <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind the headaches too much, but it's that damn double vision that just... <laughs> oh, uh, incidentally, I want to apologize for uh, your having to stand all the way. Uh, if I can give you a little tip there, every uh, oh, half hour or so, you want to alternate your arms through those uh, straps above your head. Uh, you, f you folks flying tourists, you don't have any straps. <laughs> so uh, don't, uh, don't bother looking for them. Well, uh, we're going to have a little drill in a few moments uh, by our, our two stewardesses, Trixie and Bubbles. Well, I'm sorry, Miss Watson and Miss Savage. And uh, they'll show you how to put your life jackets on. Uh, there really isn't that much to it, but a lot of people uh, get them on backwards. And, uh, well, that way you're going to wind up with your face in the water. Uh, if we should have to ditch, you'll, you'll receive plenty of warning uh, because our co-pilot becomes hysterical. <laughs> and he'll, he'll start uh, running up and down the aisles uh, yelling, uh, you know, we're going to crash or, or something like that. Uh, actually, he gets, he gets kind of panicky, and it, it isn't always too easy to understand him. Uh, at least it hasn't been in the past, anyway. <laughs> so, if, if you see him running up and down the aisles, uh, and you can't make out what he's saying, uh, you, might, you might slip into your life jackets to <laughs> be on the safe side. Uh, I'd like to answer some questions that you may have uh, about the airline. It's uh, the woman right here. Ma'am, if I may, I'll repeat the question so everyone uh, can hear it. it. If we should ditch, how long would the plane remain afloat? Is, is that the, was that your question, ma'am? Uh, <laughs> golly, that's, that's awful hard to say, ma'am. <laughs> Uh, some of them go down like a rock, you know? <laughs> and then, I don't know, for some reason or other, others will stay up for, oh, two, three minutes. It's, uh... <laughs> Sir, if I may, I'll get your question next. I want to get the gentleman's way in the back there. Sir, could you kind of speak up a little bit? I can't hear you over the roar of our engines. Maybe, you know, if you just... Oh, wait, they stopped now, sir. <laughs> Harry, the engines went out again. It's uh, the third button on the left, I think, here. 
Hold, hold it, Harry. The cabin lights are going out. Uh, thir- uh, try the third button on the right. That's got him. That's got him. You want, you want to try that question again, sir? Sir, I'm sorry. I still can't make out what you're saying. Oh, well, sure. All right. All right. You can try it that way. It may work. First word. Sounds like running. Sounds like racing. Track and field. Ran. Oh, it sounds like ran. Uh, Man. A lot of man. A whole bunch of men. Men? Oh, men! Men is right behind you there, sir. I'm, I'm glad I took your question ahead of this gentleman's over here. Uh, I really have to get back in the cabin now. We, uh, we have it on automatic pilot, but uh, well, the damn thing keeps kicking in and out all the time, and uh, <laughs> we never really know if it's on or not. Oh, uh, one, of the, one of the reasons I came out here, I nearly forgot. Uh, have, have any of you ever, ever been to Hawaii before? This a gentleman right here? It's, uh, it's kind of liver-shaped, isn't it, sir? Sir, as, as we're coming in, uh, would you mind very much uh, stopping by the cabin and kind of <laughs> pointing it out to us? We sure appreciate it. Thank you very much. I hope you have a very pleasant trip. Thank you. Thank you. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. have been nothing if not vague well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell there is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable.
you pilots get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.